All right, good morning. Everybody sounds ready to begin, so let's go ahead and do that. We're nearing the end of our study on the doctrines of grace. I do hope that this has been a helpful time for everyone to think carefully about God's work of salvation in the, in the life of those whom he saves. Uh, today we're actually going to look at really what is often a question in, in all of our minds, because there really is, is mystery here in this reality. But if we're thinking, if God is indeed sovereign overall, and he chooses, as we, we've spent a lot of time pointing out over the summer, and, and particularly when we talked about unconditional election, that, that God chooses according to his own sovereign purposes, if that's how God works, and he chooses uh, unconditionally from eternity past, we're tempted to think, well then, why evangelize? If God's going to save whom he's going to save, does it really matter whether or not I'm involved in, faithful to evangelism? And so this week, we want to think carefully about this reality, that the sovereignty of God and the responsibility to, to evangelize. And in fact, there is some complexity to the question, but in reality too, it's almost the, the this could be a five second lesson, you know, why evangelize? You know, because God commanded us to, you know, and then seal the deal, we're done. Um, that is really, you know, the primary answer that we want to begin with today is just this is commanded by God of, of us. We are to evangelize the lost. But, but there's more to this that we want to think carefully about in regards to answering why, why evangelize. And so that's what we will look at, seek to tackle an answer to that question. If God indeed is sovereign, then why should we be faithful to evangelize and involved in missions? And so we want to think carefully about that. Let's pray and begin our study together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. Thank you for the, the rest we got last night. I'm thankful for life and breath and every good thing that we experienced this morning. We're thankful in this local church to be able to gather together to worship together, to learn from your word, to leave here in light of what we learn, seeking to glorify you in every area of our lives. And so I pray that this would be a time of refreshment for all of us as we are fed from your word, and that we'd find great encouragement in the fellowship that we participate in together with our church family. We do love you and thank you and praise you for this time, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and begin in Romans 9. Just wanted to point out, you know, context always matters in, in studying the Bible accurately when we rightly handle the Word of God. Really, where we need to begin in, in handling a text accurately is to begin with the immediate context. And so, I'm going to move into something that takes place in chapter 10, but it just matters so much for us to think, if Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing this letter to the Romans and think of what he has already established in Romans chapter 9. This was the focus of one of our lessons as we talked about unconditional election. But just think of those primary verses that are stated in verses 11 and 12 of Romans chapter 9. And just, just recognize their clarity that is given to, to God's basis for choosing is unconditional. So verses 11 and 12, 
of chapter 9, speaking of Jacob and Esau, it says, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, The older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So Romans 9, 11 and 12 and 13 foundational in coming to grips with unconditional election. And so God saves according to his own sovereign purposes. Even look at verse 11, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Why did God choose Jacob and not Esau? Not because of works. He did this before they were even born. He did it according to his own sovereign purposes. It's according to him who calls. So Romans 9, 11, 12, and 13 make that clear. Moved then to the very next chapter. So God is sovereign. God chooses not according to anything we have done, according to his own sovereign purposes. Romans 10 then speaks to our uh, responsibility to evangelize the lost. The very next chapter, the same author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes in chapter 10, verses 13 and following, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So what a privilege it is to be involved in gospel proclamation. As verse 15 states, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And as you move back in those verses, you're seeing the necessity of gospel declaration. How are they to call on on God unless they hear? How are they to hear unless someone preaches? How is someone to preach unless they're sent? You know, the, the argument moves through this reality that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then you move into, well, how is it that someone is going to call upon the name of the Lord? Well, it's going to be because someone proclaimed the gospel to them and God opens their eyes and causes them to respond rightly to what they have heard. So gospel uh, proclamation, evangelism is indeed necessary. And so Romans chapter 10, you know, follows after Romans chapter 9. So just keep that in mind as you're thinking of these things. When we're talking of God's sovereignty and evangelism, it's actually, you know, the, the order of those two chapters. You know, Romans 9 establishes that very clearly of God's sovereignty, and Romans 10 is showing us this call to evangelism. So it's interesting because I think in our own minds, in, in our flesh, we are tempted to think that it, why should we speak if God has chosen? That's, what, that's where our mind goes too quickly. We're tempted to think that way. As you study this and you come to grips with God being sovereign, it's God who chooses, and this temptation enters in our mind, then why does anything matter about my faithfulness in regards to uh, evangelism? God chooses. God's going to save whom he's going to save. Those are true statements. And so we're tempted to take those true statements and then kind of just um, assume that evangelism doesn't matter now. And so we're tempted to think, why speak if God has chosen? 
But as we move through the scriptures, you actually see that the Bible has a much different question that is raised. If God has not chosen uh, whom will believe, why bother speaking? I mean, if you think of how we have begun this course, walked through thinking carefully about man's condition, uh, dead in sin, uh, we need uh, to be regenerated in order to respond rightly to the gospel. There's nothing good within us. We are dead in sin. Um, if God doesn't act, if God doesn't uh, work in the lives of those who are dead, the, the reality is why speak? I mean, you're speaking to those who are, are dead. You need God alone saves. We need God to act. So unless God chooses, why speak? It is really the uh, argument from the scriptures. It's exactly opposite of what I think we might be tempted to think. Our minds think, why speak if God has chosen? Because we think through the condition of man and the sovereignty of God and that salvation is a work of God alone and God gets all the glory. We recognize that, man, unless God acts, boy, there is no there's no reason to speak. So it's the exact opposite, I think. And so God has acted. God does work. And, and God has called us to speak and to be faithful to proclaim the gospel. And so as you work through this handout in front of you, if the question just begins with why evangelize, this is all under the premise that since God is sovereign, why evangelize? The very first place we ought to go and the most obvious place we ought to go is that we are commanded to in the scriptures. So why evangelize? Well, we are commanded. This is a, a command from God to us to proclaim the gospel. And so if you even think of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, we're just reminded here of, of this task that we are all given. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So don't lose sight of, of this clear command given to us as his disciples to go and make disciples. Go, the great commission is given to us. Why evangelize? Because we are commanded to. Paul, recognizing this task that has been given to us, and particularly as an apostle, the responsibility that he had to proclaim the gospel, even listen to his awareness of the responsibility that he had to proclaim the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse, I'll start in verse 15, but just listen to Paul's reasoning here in regards to faithfulness unto this command. Paul says in verse 15, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So Paul is recognizing this this responsibility that if he is not faithful to, God's not dependent on Paul. If Paul abandons this responsibility, God's work will still be done. Uh, it's not up to Paul. It's not dependent upon Paul. But Paul is saying here in verse 16, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for necessity is indeed laid upon me. Paul must preach the gospel because he is commanded to preach the gospel. 
and, and he, judgment on him for abandoning that task if he does. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So between the Great Commission, Paul's statement here in 1 Corinthians 9, and throughout the scriptures, we can just continue to see our task to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Why evangelize? We are commanded. Uh, that's, that's what the scriptures show us. And so there's mystery here in our minds. If we think, okay, God's sovereign, God's in control, but God has commanded us to proclaim the gospel. But I think in that mystery, we recognize there, there's wisdom here. Just at the same time that I said, it's not all up to Paul. Like it, if Paul was not faithful, God's purposes would still be done. So it's not up to Paul, it's up to God. So there's no, you know, we recognize here that in this wisdom of God in, in the means that he uses to save the lost, we're recognizing that we are given this task and it's a genuine responsibility that we have that uh, is how God saves sinners. So there's this genuine task to be faithful, but we are not deceived into thinking, man, it is up to me. Uh, and when someone comes to Christ, you're welcome. No, you know, that's not what's in our minds. We're recognizing it's God who saves. That's why we pray that God would save our family, our friends, our neighbors. Uh, it's God who saves. It's not up to us. But we're recognizing, man, we are to be faithful. And so while I'm saying there's mystery in how God is sovereign, and yet we are responsible to share the gospel, in that mystery, we're already recognizing the wisdom of God on display in this. Because if we are not faithful, the church will go on. It's not, the church is not dependent on Doug. You know, the church is not dependent on, uh, I was saying Doug Link, by the way, too, but it's not dependent. Yeah, I, was, I look right in front of Doug. Sorry about that. Yes, it's, it's not dependent on us. We're dependent on God. And so while there's mystery, I think you, you're able to recognize the wisdom of God on display in this. And this mystery indeed has led to confusion in, um, in many people's minds in fact, I was just reading an, an example of this confusion on display in, in church history. There's mystery uh, about our role. Because if God is sovereign, what is our role? If we're called to evangelize, but it's God who's sovereign, where, are, where is our role, like job description defined here? And so this was interesting to me. Uh, if you're familiar with, with William Carey, you know, he's this 18th century missionary who was a strong adherent to all the, what we have talked about in regards to the doctrines of grace. Convinced that God was sovereign in salvation. Convinced that he was called to proclaim the gospel. And in fact, he was really the one, well, you know, he, he lit the flame in a way uh, of the overseas missions. As he was compelled to go to India to proclaim the gospel. And this, this fueled overseas missions uh, for hundreds of years following William Carey. I mean, he was a, um, just a, a model of evangelism motivated by God's sovereignty. But what's wild is to, I, I was reading about a conversation that took place prior to William Carey going. Uh, when it came um, time for, for him to kind of make this pitch to, um, to start up a missionary society, and he's sharing it, here's what, here's what was communicated to him. When he, he shared this, this individual said to him, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid and he will do it without my aid. That is what, is what the answer was when, when William Carey is looking for funds from, from, a, um, from 
churches to fund missionaries to go overseas and proclaim the gospel to the lost, he was told, sit down. If God's going to save individuals, he's going to do it without you. He's going to do it without me. I mean, are you seeing the confusion that's going on there with that guy? I mean, he's, that guy's recognizing God's sovereign. William Carey's not going to affect God's sovereign um, purposes being done, but he's not recognizing William Carey rightly recognizing his responsibility to share the gospel. This individual might have, might have professed to understand God was sovereign, but he did not understand our calling to be faithful to evangelism. I think, I don't know this individual, I don't know where, where he would have fallen theologically, but it sounds a whole lot to me like what, what many would recognize as hyper-Calvinism, someone who would recognize that God is sovereign, but because God is sovereign, evangelism we can be indifferent to. In fact, a lot of times, hyper-Calvinism is what is uh, described as anyone who holds to the doctrines of grace. And, and so I, I think hyper-Calvinism is, is really summarized by anyone who denies the need for evangelism and missions. So a hyper-Calvinist would be somebody who is unbiblical. If you deny the need for evangelism and missions, you are denying this very first point we've made. God has commanded us unto this task. And so it's, you're not being faithful to the scriptures if you deny the need for evangelism. Um, so we want to guard against such a denial. We, we are commanded to go, 